Carrie, we have to do this twice? We yeah, have to, we every have to, time. Say Random your name twice. twice, every time. Yes. All right. I have OCD. You don't. Yes, I do. I was diagnosed with it. Really? Yeah, that's why I was taking that medication, too. When were you diagnosed? Um, when I was diagnosed with anxiety, also. Like, recently or, like, as a child? Uh, not as a child, but when I was a child, I used to wash my hands so incessantly that, until they were raw. And I think okay. that that's when my parents figured out that Oh, Morgan's kind of fucked up. It was, I, it's because, okay, I went to a Montessori school and uh, they showed us pictures of dust mites. And then after that, I just felt like I couldn't get clean. That's how it happens. Yeah. It's the dust mite. It's the fucking Montessori school. Don't show kids dust mites. I like Montessori. But, all right, so it sounds like you're legitimately OCD and yeah. not just saying it the way some people do. Okay. No, no, no. I really actually am. Okay. So we are we're on episode six. Green River Killer. This we think this is the last one. We think we think this is our final Green River Killer no. episode. No. Morgan's sad. And and if this takes too long, I suppose we can get into episode seven. But if if not, if we're if we finish our story tonight, then we gotta start thinking about other topics to do. We have lots of ideas. Oh, we have a list. Uh, like a like a long list of other things to do. <gasps> Also, oh my god, if you have any good suggestions, oh, totally shit. tweet at us. Or you can you can email us at our our, oh. A, our AOL email account. Oh my god. Which is on our website. It's unnecessarywhy at AOL.com. Unnecessarywhy, all one word, at AOL. Yeah. Um, and then also you can tweet at us at, oh god, my dark. two ats, at my... At <laughs> my dark... At, at. My, her podcast. My dark her podcast. <laughs> my dark hour was taken. Seriously? Who the yeah. fuck took it? A Steve Miller fan. Oh, Jesus I know. Christ. Anyway. Um, and also, you guys, oh my god, thank you for reviewing us and for giving us um, stars. Some stars. Yeah. We have good stars. We have okay stars. We're practically stars. We're practically... We are stars. We're, we're stars. Su- we're in our super own mind. stars. Okay. Okay. So, so we left off with our our friend Gary Ridgway. Okay. So we left off with Gary Ridgway divorcing his second wife, Marsha. Marsha. And descending into a sort of misogynistic frenzy, I think I think we could say. So we, we left off in nineteen eighty one where he divorced his second wife. Yeah. Holy shit did he did he take this divorce hard? He did. There are some holes in my knowledge of what happened in 1981. The story, as I know, picks up with he gets some renters to come into his house. That's right. So in, like, I think the spring of 1982, he rents out his house, which, hold, before we even get into that, let's talk about his house a little bit. So he divorces <gasps> Marsha, buys a house, a, a bachelor pad, if you will, 
and we've been to this house. We haven't been inside of it, but we've driven by it. It is probably the worst location I've ever seen for a house. It is fucking right next to I-5. It's house, backyard, backyard, I-5. 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 Yep. Uh Uh-huh. And it's tiny and kind of a nondescript house. I think it was built Mm -hmm. in the early 70s. I've looked up the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, King County. The Parcel Viewer. Parcel Viewer. Yes. I love that. Our, our listeners, go to the King County Parcel Viewer. You you will be entertained for hours. Hours, and I tell you. you can creep on everyone. You can creep on fucking everyone. It's great. Every, Bill Gates. You can creep on any. It doesn't matter. And you can see historical pictures, which you so cool. me in the summer. And it's so fun. There's a picture of my house from like 1964. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. It's awesome. So anyway, so he moves into this house, kind of a, a pretty shitty house, right off Military Road. We, we've, we've talked about Military Road a little bit. Military Road's creepy. It's very creepy, and it figures large into this story. Yeah. Because it just does. It's a one lot of the of, main modes of travel. Yeah, that's the, that's the line connecting all of the dump mm. sites, pretty much, is Military Road. So he moves into this house and gets renters. So he, he gets a married couple? To move into his house, and then he moves into the garage. Which is weird. Of his own house. Let's talk about how weird that is. He's living in his garage. He's got a married couple there. And during this time period is when the first known Green River Killer victim disappears while this married couple is living in the house. Which, I have a question about that. Mm -hmm. Was this person killed in the house? They think not. They think as long as this couple was living in the house that he killed everybody either in his truck or out, out, in, the woods. out in the woods somewhere. And then um, how long was the couple there? I don't, maybe, a, I don't even think a year. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe a year. Maybe they moved out in the spring of 83. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. So he, does, do we have any good descriptions of him describing how he began murdering? He's, he's. Gary Ridgway was so incoherent in yeah. his in his interviews with the cops that I never had any like real sense of why he started killing people. Like he just sort of seemed like, oh gee, I don't know. He says that he was extremely angry at all women, and he wanted to make women f- hurt the way that they hurt him. He didn't want these women to go out and hurt other men. But why? Okay, sure. But there's no explanation. He'd been visiting prostitutes for years, and all of a sudden, one day, he just started doing it and kills Wendy Caulfield. So, God, I didn't even really think about that. Like, what the fuck? Like, he does not talk about that. But you know what? Now that I think about it, he had so many issues with memory um, through this entire thing. That even during the investigation, there are things that he was extremely confused about. Wasn't sure if they were a dream. Wasn't sure if they were real That's life. True. And uh, I think that he um, maybe doesn't remember. I mean, honestly, like, I think he really doesn't know. He And I kind of... Clearly, he's not the smartest person in the world. Um, but yeah, there also seems to almost be brain damage with him. Like he yeah. really can't remember, or does if he can remember, he's not lying very it. well about right. not being able to remember things. Right. So, uh, for all we know, 
Wendy Coffin was his first victim, but I will mention the fact that there were at least four women who were killed in the year before Wendy Caulfield was killed. So in the time period between he divorces Marsha and Wendy Caulfield is killed, I think at least four other young prostitutes are found strangled. He's denied killing these people. You um, know he did that shit. I don't he know. He did that shit. So I would, if our listeners at home, if you're interested about this, go to his Wikipedia page because there's a whole list of people on there who may be victims of his, like Leanne Wilcox is one. She's the one I remember because I believe she was the cousin of Wendy Caulfield, which is really fucking weird. But she was found um, strangled. She was a prostitute, and she was found strangled on on Military Road at like 348th or something. Or down in Federal Way, somewhere down south of 300th. And that's and but he totally denies having anything to do with that. So it's kind of interesting. There there is some I would say there's some fuzziness about whether Wendy Coffin was really when he began. Right. But as far as he says, yes, it was. Right. So what are some details that we have about his methodology for killing women. He killed, as we've talked about, a lot of women, and he got very good at it. So can you Super describe good at it. What, he, what he has described as being his sort of routine that he would go through? So we, we can talk, I think, more about motive when we talk about his confession later on. Mm-hmm. Typically what would happen, and fill in any gaps, he would um, date these, would date, like, air quote, date these women, have which, sex with them. Which really means, I mean, he, he totally would use he, the term date, but you right. would pull over, them up, yeah. say, Pick hey, basically I want a blowjob. It sounds like would right. typically be what he would do, and right. he would give them 20 bucks. Yes. Often would end up having... Intercourse. Intercourse. Intercourse, to sound very clinical. Penis, vagina Penis sex. and vagina. And what would happen is, okay, he said... That he would... Okay, a lot of times it took him a while. Um, and especially if they were face-to-face. And so... Pause. Yes. Why do you think it took him a while? Do you find that strange? Like, this guy had an epic sex drive. Yet, from p- accounts of people who have survived, which there are a couple, he had a difficult time getting an erection. Yeah. And then had, well, maybe the people who survived, maybe he didn't have an orgasm with them. But it sounds like it was he was not quick to get there. Right. Well, and so, and this was a major issue, was that a lot of times um, women would kind of try to hurry him along. That's right. And that was the thing that fucking set him off. So he said that any time a woman would act like he was taking too long or would literally, like, say to him... You're taking too long. You're taking too long and rush him. He would just go into this blind rage. And so... But that also very conveniently makes it the woman's fault. Right. Oh, of course. Which, it's always the woman's fault. Everything is is always women's fault. I forgot. I'm sorry. I know that in one of the past episodes, we talked about this and how his, like, crazy weird sex drive and this lack of boners maybe indicative of like something brain wise going on Um, but was the last strange i mean the sex drive is is one issue but then once he has the prostitute which he clearly wants and Mm -hmm. is sexually attracted to Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be able to get an erection or have an orgasm easily and i'm wondering if that is because he's 
nervous because he realizes he's going to kill these women if there's some sort of if there's some level of guilt or anxiety, and maybe we can get to that a little later on, because we've had many conversations that we do not think Eric Ridgway is a sociopath. He's not a sociopath. This guy has feelings. So that is interesting, because I don't ever remember any of his wives or consensual girlfriends mentioning anything about a lack of having difficulty having erections or having difficulty having orgasms. So that does seem to be something that yeah, is specific point. to the prostitutes. <gasps> So oh my God, I think you have a new theory, girl. New theory. You understand Gary Ridgway's psychology. So he would, he would, he was pretty, sounds like he was pretty consistent with how he killed women. He would get them in sort of a doggy style position. Yeah, because and then, he said that was how, especially when they would rush him along, he would say to them, I can only finish if I'm behind you. So he would get them into that position and then strangle them with it sounds like the crook of his elbow is yes. how he would how he would do it yeah. and it sounds like it was relatively easy well Ish. so i think and this is really sad that he um at one point was quoted as talking about how some women really put up a fight but then some of them just gave up so quickly and like they were the ones that were so easy they were gone like really quick and that makes me feel so bad. It's like, man, living this, like, really hard life, probably not feeling, like, super great about things, and then you're just like, well, here I am, Fuck getting it. killed. I'm just going to, like, give up. Ugh. And, like, that makes me the most pissed, is that, like, dude, you fucking did that. You, like, just made someone's shitty life, like, way shittier. You, like, made them have a shitty death. <laughs> True. And, and I am in no way trying to take away from the shittiness of it, but there's also no evidence that he ever tortured anybody or caused anybody pain unnecessarily. I mean, but, like, strangling would be really painful. It, it would. And scary. It would be. So I, I am in no way trying to say that, like, oh, no, he was, it was great. Right. I just... I mean, he wasn't, like, a Ted Bundy, where no. he's, like, beating them to He death. wasn't sadistic in that way. Right. Like, I don't think he enjoyed necessarily causing people pain. Right. But he also said that when they asked him, why did you strangle people instead mm-hmm. of other methods he could have used, it was because other methods would have been too messy. Yeah. And um, it was more satisfying Yeah, to actually physically kill someone instead of, like, shooting them or doing something that was more right. removed. And it was really important to him that they weren't facing away from him. So I, I think that was another reason why yeah. he, like, made them, yeah, it was, like, doggy-style situation because he did not want to have to look them in the face. No. And he said at one point he did strangle one of them while he was looking into her eyes. And he didn't ever do that again afterwards. I know that he understood what he was doing was wrong. Yeah. But, like, then stop. Well, and he kind of did. True. So, we'll I mean, talk about that he, he, is, he is interesting. He kind of breaks a lot of the, the classic right, rules the stereotypes. of yeah. serial killers, which actually are kind of bullshit. But right. he doesn't do a lot of those things. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any interesting... The, I think his methodology of killing people is is kind of consistent. Wait, Not, really quick. Can oh, I yeah. add one more thing? So a lot of times what um, he would do is he would use 
kind of like environmental factors to his favor. So um, a lot of times, you know about this because you live south of the airport, <gasps> but the like airplane traffic is extremely mm-hmm. loud. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I always think about you when I think about this, <laughs> but like a lot of times what would happen, is, he says, is that plane would go over and they would look up to see the plane and that gave him the opportunity yep. to put his arm around around their neck he would also oftentimes use like his socks that were tied together or like pants i don't know and it seems like this was like a common thing but my favorite part is that sometimes he said that the sound of the planes would set him off and suddenly make him want to murder someone (laughs) and i'm like oh my god that's carrie that's exactly (laughs) how i feel like a hundred percent i know i feel just always wanting to murder people just for our listeners yeah i live (laughs) like way too close to SeaTac Airport. Way too fucking close. And I'll be outside sometimes and I feel like I'm going crazy because it is insanely loud and the rest of my neighbors just <laughs> trudel along like nothing's happening. I'm like, does nobody else hear this right now? Like, really? Am I the only one? And I know <laughs> you're supposed to get used to it after a while. I do not get used to it. Like, it, it, I've not gotten used to it. It just makes you fly into a murderous rage. It does. So... <laughs> People so you go get missing it. down get down in my area. <laughs> you'll, you'll know what happened. Oh my god! You just can't deal with it anymore. <gasps> it's going to be one of those situations where, in like years after you are an established serial killer, people are going to listen <laughs> to this podcast and be like, "We should have known. We should have fucking have known. known." There you go. Anyway, okay. So, well, so the, the methodology was ish consistent, mm-hmm. but then there was where he killed his victims. So, <sighs> kind of interesting. So he would either do it. In an outdoor space, mm-hmm. so wherever, a lot of times where the bodies ended up, I think mm-hmm. he would kill them there in the back of his truck, mm-hmm. which makes me try to imagine having sex in the back of a pickup truck, <gasps> like with one of those, what the fuck yeah, do you call like those? Yeah, like a camper top. Yeah, but not even a camper top, like just one of those. What are those things called? Fuck. Oh, They're yeah. called a camper top, aren't they? I don't think so. There, there's a name for them, because a camper top, I feel like, are higher and, like, they're meant to actually sleep under. These are not. Like, these are just those, like, rounded covers that are just yeah. to, like, cover your load. Yeah, they have an... Ew, that sounds gross. <laughs> cover your load. <laughs> cover your load, dude. <laughs> um, and, I mean, but the clearance, I mean, they're only, I don't know, three feet high? So you have to really, like, stoop over. <laughs> like, I'm trying to imagine, first of all, having <laughs> sex in that environment, which would be awful. Yeah. And then trying, this is terrible, but I mean, trying to maneuver to kill somebody in that space. I'm like, how the fuck did any of that happen? That seems bad. But then he killed the most people in his house. Right. So he ended up, once the people left then, right? Once the married couple left, yeah. Um, And so, okay, I remember, I just have to bring, take a stroll down memory lane. When Carrie and I were first, like, hanging out (laughs) on the rig. First dating. I don't know why. First dating. I mean, pretty much, though. (laughs) When we were first hanging out on the rig, we went to Elliott Bay, and we were talking. It was just Green River Killer Night, and I was like, oh my god, girl, tell me all about it. So she told me where he lived, which I immediately drove to right afterwards, but the thing that I was really wondering about was, mm, if he's like strangling people on his bed, typically when people get strangled... They end up, like, peeing. And um, because, you know, obviously you're getting strangled, right? And so I remember asking Carrie about that. Carrie, what did he do? And Rule talks about this in Green River Running Red. Gary Ridgway, I think either... I think he figured this out. I don't think he knew it beforehand. But yes, when people die 
they pee and poop on themselves. That is a normal thing that happens when you die. And he figured this out and was like, huh, this is a problem because I'm going to end up with pee and poop poop all over my bed. So what he would do is he would have the women go and pee. I doubt women are going to go poop in his house, but... He would have them use the bathroom before they had sex and get clean. I'm putting that in quotes. And other, his wives talked about this as well. He was very concerned with the cleanliness of their vaginas. Oh, we have to talk about this later. Oh, well, we can talk about it now that he was convinced that you couldn't get STDs if somehow if your vagina was clean enough, like washed it with a washcloth, (laughs) you weren't going to get an STD. Once again, IQ of 82, like didn't understand the way things worked. I think. I really think he genuinely believed this. Oh, he did. He also had a special um, formula that he would use to clean off his dick. Oh, that's right. What was it made out of? Oh, fuck. I think it was like... Was it like rubbing alcohol and something? It was like rubbing alcohol and like... Oh, shit. I'm going to have to look it up. But I don't remember Neosporin and rubbing alcohol. It was like something with rubbing alcohol. And I was thinking like... Oh my god! Imagine having sex with a dick covered in <laughs> rubbing, rubbing alcohol. Oh <laughs> god! Although I do kind of like the smell of rubbing alcohol. <laughs> it kind of smells good. But it would be. Oh, I mean, because your vagina is a mucous membrane. Like right. it, would sting it would sting like a motherfucker. Yeah. Okay. But so I mean, I think he put it on afterwards. Oh. I think it was like one of those situations. But like, wouldn't it sting for him too? Only if it got in the the hole. <laughs> your urethra. Your urethra. Your urethra. Uh, yeah. So wow. so yeah, Gary Ridgway, kind of like um a witch doctor of not getting <laughs> STDs. <laughs> and not successful <laughs> at all. Nope, because he, he got STDs. A lot. Yeah. A lot. Mm. So these poor women would go to the bathroom and be made made to go to the bathroom and then wash their vaginas and then and go to they the bathroom. Would, That's the thing like really fucks me up though. It's like, hey, you know what? I know I'm gonna kill you. Can you just go pee first so I don't get it on my bed? Yeah. Your death is like too inconvenient. It's, it's for too my messy. Bed. Yeah. What the fuck, motherfucker? Yeah, so and then he would kill them, and then if if they still Peter pooped, then he would do the laundry. Yeah. And he and he's and he has said there's interviews with him describing what that would be like, like, oh, you know, I would just put a load in. The washing machine, put this woman's body in my truck, go jump the body off, and then come back and put the load of clothes in the dryer. I mean, like, it was just, like, a chore, like anything else. Oh, my fucking God. And he did this so often that, I mean, really, I think it became just, you know, totally commonplace. Like, I don't even think it was a big deal after a while. I mean, I've never heard of another serial killer, at least not in the United States, who killed so many people in such a short amount of time. Like, there was no, like, build-up the way there normally is for serial killers. Right. It was just, like, full bore. And we talked about this in the Victims episode. I mean, he was doing... I mean, sometimes it was, like, one person a week. Sometimes it was one every couple of days or two a day. Right, but it ended up, you know, on average... He had one, like, four people a month. Yeah. In yeah. his most active time. Which is, that's crazy. I mean, <laughs> I just feel like taking a human life would be such a horrifying, like, significant event. And I mean, like, that drives people crazy when it's an accidental thing. Mm-hmm. And that, like, it's like, oh, you know what? I killed someone. I'm going to do it again next week. I'm going to do that again next week. Like, that, I just can't understand. I, I don't get it. 
It's crazy. It, yeah. So, we've established that he was a crazy killing machine for how long? Two years. Two straight-ish. Yes. Yeah, two years straight. And then mysteriously, in 1984, the killing stop. Hmm. So this brings us to February 1985, which is where when Gary goes to a singles event in a country western bar. Mm. Gross. We should preface this by saying that Gary Ridgway had been part of a group called... <gasps> Parents without partners. Partners! Which my Aunt Sylvia was a member of. Seriously? Not at the same time period, though, right? I don't know. No. I'm going to have to ask her. Well, so he was in this group, because he had a son, and he used it as a place to meet women. So just to keep this in mind, so while he is murdering prostitutes, and when he's not murdering prostitutes, having lots of sex with prostitutes... So, all, yeah. there, so there was all these women that he killed, but then there was also just a ton of women that he was just having sex with as well. Yeah. In addition to that, he also had multiple girlfriends. Yes. During this point in time. So How seriously. How many times a day is he having sex? I don't know. So in this group, Anne Rule talks about this, that there were women he was dating in this group and he was cheating on them with other women in the group, but nobody knew it because he wanted to have sex with them so often. They're like, dude, there's no fucking way this oh guy is God. cheating on me. So just to like try to wrap your head around that, that that all is happening at the same time. And, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. So I'd- Okay. So he, at one of these events in February, 1985, he's at a country Western bar. Set the scene in your mind, everyone. At the White Shutters. Oh my it's at the fucking White Shutters. White Shutters? Yeah. Okay. In Tukwila? In Tukwila. Okay, no. so, yes. So, oh I don't remember where this place was, but there are Foster High School yearbooks. I have all the Foster High School yearbooks going back to 1917, <laughs> which is amazing. I know, that's really cool. And in the back, they always have advertisements from businesses that would, you know, pay to fund the yearbook. And the White Shutters is in <gasps> some of them. So, I can find out where it was. Oh, my God. So okay, I, so they're in the white. They're at, they're at the white shutters. White shutters. He looks across the room. Imagine all the denim. Imagine <laughs> it's the permed hair. Okay, whirling around to country <laughs> country tunes. Imagine some fringe, and he locks eyes with Judith Mawson. Judith motherfucking Mawson. So Judith. What do we want to say about? Well, oh, there's a whole book oh about Judith. Oh my god. Which P.S. It's the please read it. Best fucking thing <gasps> in the world. It's so good. Green River Killer, Diary of an Unsuspecting Wife. Yes, which is the best title. By Penny Moorhead. Penny Moorhead. It is, we've talked about this, but so worth the read. Self-published. <laughs> totally self-published. Uh, but it's, it's really just the story of Judith's life. Like, yeah. The Green River Killer part is kind of towards the end. Yeah, and it's not very significant. And her life is kind of interesting and fucked up. It is. So it's. I think it's worth reading. I enjoyed that book a lot. In general. So he catches Judith Mawson's eye, uh, and they hit it off instantly. Like, they know. They do. So what ends up happening is that Judith and her friend are there. Gary and... Is it a guy that he's friends with, or too? Or I don't think he has any friends. He's with another man. He's with another man. It's definitely not it his is. brother. But they end up... So Judith's friend kind of hooks up with the friend. And then Judith and Gary sit up talking all night in a very wholesome way while their two friends just... Ha- bang. They have sex. <laughs> all night. 
But Judith, do we know this? Yes, we do not know this. Yes, they do. They really insinuate it in that book because it's <laughs> kind. They kind of talk about it in a way that it's kind of like they're not very approving. They're like, oh my god, these two. All right, so I found the part in the book. So it's giving us a blow by blow of their first date together. Literally. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to read like three paragraphs here. So they're they're driving to go. They've left the white shutters. They're going to have breakfast. Okay, you ready? What? Wait, 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 hold up. Is it morning? It's well, it's early in the morning. Oh my god! Each time the van made sharp turns, Gary and Judith <laughs> intentionally leaned into each other, sometimes completely falling over into the other's lap. They radiated the excitement of body chemistry. They giggled like children. Judith began to rethink her earlier judgment that Gary was too young for her. Ooh, younger man. She enjoyed the feeling of his lean body pressed up to her side. (laughs) Once, when the van stopped for a traffic light, Gary looked down at Judith's face and flashed her a wide, boyish grin. Then, without warning, he popped a quick kiss on her lips. Judith gasped in surprise. Then they both giggled again. The game of flirtation was on. Full throttle. (laughs) At about 2.30 a.m., the group ate breakfast in a local 24-hour diner on Kent East Hill. When they finished, the women are declared they really should be getting home. Oh, no, the guys argued. <laughs> Why can't we keep the evening going, Gary asked, shrugging his slender shoulders. How about we have coffee at one of our houses? We're having fun, right? He flashed his boyish smile. Again, the women looked at each other and agreed through eye communication that it would be fine to continue with the men. Eye communication. communication. (laughs) Gary's acquaintance said they could all go to his house as they were already in his neighborhood. A few minutes after entering the house, Judith's friend and Gary's friend slipped off to a bedroom, leaving them standing awkwardly with one another in the front room. (laughs) Gary suggested they take a seat on the sofa. Within an hour, the two were cuddling comfortably, with Gary's arm draped around her shoulders. Judith's hands resting on his legs, they talked for several hours. See, that is motherfucking wholesome. That's very wholesome. While the friend is just banging away. Getting banged. (laughs) So hard. <laughs> bang it out. My my ex-boyfriend always called it bang it out. We're gonna Ew. bang it out. Ew. I know. I was like, that's that's awful. That's really that's creepy. Awful. I know, it's, it's terrible. Oh my god. So But it was love at first. From, from these wholesome roots grew a beautiful tree that grew peaches. <laughs> Anyway, okay. Um, You'll understand that later. (laughs) They found that they enjoyed a lot of the same things, which I'm sad to say are also very wholesome. Like, okay, the things that they love reminds me of all of the Christian people that I knew as, like, a kid, all of their parents, who would, like, go pick up day-old bread out of, like, dumpsters and shit. Like, (laughs) okay, they loved going to swap meets, they fucking loved, loved garage sales. Yeah. Finding crap and like yeah. they were well they were hoarders. Yeah, they I mean, were they, into, were they were straight up hoarders. No, no, they just really loved knickknacks, Carrie. Knickknacks. Bullshit. Read the description <laughs> of their house by the cops. <laughs> fucking hoarders. They were neat hoarders. What does it say? That there were whole rooms just filled floor to ceiling with crap. That's hoarders. That's fucking hoarders. So they were hoarders. They had, like, a really good relationship. Like, he was very nice to her. Uh, This is the most tragic part of this entire thing. Yeah. Seriously, this is a really cute 
love story. Yeah. And this woman was really tragic and had a really bad life. And yeah. she loved Gary so much. Yeah. They had a good marriage. They were super happy together. They, and then wait, he, wait. They also raised poodles together. They loved poodles. They fucking loved poodles. This was their life. This they was had their life. Knickknacks and fucking poodles. And they were married for almost 20 years before he was arrested for the Green River Killer. So can you imagine oh. your husband up 20 fucking years, the cops showing up at your door one day and be like, hey, yes. we're going to have to arrest him because A, he's been visiting prostitutes, and B, he's a Green River Killer. Yeah. That's, can, that's what happened to this woman. I can actually imagine that happening with Paul. <laughs> Do not fucking say that <laughs> shit. He's going to listen. Like, the fucking public is listening to this because we're famous now. So famous. We're so famous. It's crazy. <laughs> um, okay. No, that would be horrifying. It would be so horrifying. Like, surprise, your husband's a serial killer. I, I but I, wait. What? Wait, no, you go. Well, I was gonna say when this first happened, I remember reading, like, oh, he's married, and thinking, that poor woman. And then actually seeing interviews with her later, I was like, oh my god, seriously, that poor woman. Because she's just very she's very vulnerable seeming. And and she's she's totally given interviews, which would be horrifying to do. And so, I I, I don't know. I'm I just I feel very sad for her. And she lives around here, and I kind of just want to go like hang out with her or something and be like, you're it's okay, it's okay. It's you kind of made him, like him a better person and probably stopped him from killing a whole bunch of people. But at the same time, during this entire okay, so he married her. And this is also very in quaint and 88. 88. 88. In, a, in a neighbor's front yard. On their street, though. So, like, on the fucking, like, I-5 cul-de-sac. I know. Like, on that street. Yeah, and they have, like, a potluck. Mm. And she's wearing, like, a really gaudy pink dress, <sighs> which is the most 80s thing. So 80s. That's ever happened. It's yeah. amazing. But at the same time, he is visiting prostitutes on the reg, still, even though they're married. Yeah. yeah. And she really... I mean, in the Penny Moorhead book, there are multiple times where I just want to shake her and be like, are you fucking kidding me? You did not. Why would you fucking believe what he said? Because she talks about, oh, this happened. The the police wanted to investigate. The police wanted to interview him. And I just figured there was a mistake. It's like, bitch, if your husband has to go talk to the police about serial murders. I know. There's an issue. But... Yes, 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 yes. And I thought all of that, but <laughs> after reading the Penny Moorhead book and getting some background on her, like, she had seizures growing up. Do you remember that? That is not an excuse. I think she had brain damage. A little bit. A little bit. And she, I, she'd basically been in, in abusive relationships. Yeah. And I think, okay. I think, I imagine that if you've had, she had a really shitty marriage before Gary Ridgway, and I think... She was just one of those people who I sense was kind of just, like, beaten down by life. And I think Mm. was like, oh, I met this great guy. I'm going with it. Like, I'm going to be in denial if I need to be to just be happy. Oh, okay, you softened me a little bit. But still, if your husband is getting picked up for prostitution, it's not a mistake. She just said, oh, it's a mistake. I understand the need to feel like you need to be in denial because the truth is just too much to bear. But, I mean, come on. Well, I'm also going to say something that's not as kind right now, which is Gary Ridgway was a very stupid man, and I imagine he was really 
not the most exciting conversational partner. So if Judith was loving life with Gary, she also probably was not like the deepest critical thinker in the world. I mean, if you catch my drift, they love knickknacks. They, I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm just, I'm just saying that she, she may have been somebody who was limited in in some capacity. Right. Although she doesn't seem unintelligent either, though in interviews. So it's kind of interesting. Right. But I also think that somebody who would choose Gary Ridgway as a life partner yeah. was yeah. somebody who wasn't wasn't having a lot of of deep spiritual heart-to-hearts with themselves or others right so makes sense so they live a really happy life for almost 20 years years. they have oh my god a really cute poodle named peaches there you go there the peaches peaches uh peaches will come back again too because one of my favorite quotes of this entire thing i I have to share with you guys it's amazing but they're, they're just going about their life gary's working at kenworth he ends up getting... Does he get progressively more important jobs, or does he just keep getting, like, cost of living increases? Because as time goes on, they end up moving to another house in Des Moines, and then they end up moving to Auburn in a house that was, like, pretty nice. Kind of big, yeah. Yeah, it had nice landscaping. They really cared about their yard and, like, took a lot of care there. Um, they had ki- a kind of life that I feel like is no longer possible, but it was the blue-collar, mm-hmm. middle-class life, which I, I don't think happens very much anymore. But like Right, where the man works some job and the woman doesn't have to work. But the man doesn't have a college degree, yeah. but manages to make a pretty nice middle-class income with just a you know manufacturing kind of job. Right. So yeah, he, I feel like he was the last sort of generation of people who was able to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, he does it. By the time he's arrested, he has a very large house in Auburn, and they have, like, a big RV. They yeah. always talk about that. Like, they're, like, you know, those RVs are, like, $100,000. I know. I mean, so they, they clearly were doing okay. Right. So, yeah, so that was what was happening up until the day that he was arrested. So, November 30th. 2001. 2001 he was arrested we talked about that so and they i mean we mentioned also in the last episode that it, the night before they remember they had uh, gary ridgeway under surveillance they saw judith well and judith was under surveillance too they saw judith leave the house at like midnight and come back with him a little while later and we find out that he had been picked up for prostitution so judith talks about this event in the penny moorhead book Gary just tells her it was all a complete misunderstanding. He stopped on the side of the road because something was wrong with his truck. And there was just happened to be a prostitute there. And he like had talked to her to ask if she needed help or something. And got busted and the for cops soliciting. Just picked him up. God, even though he was imagine? being a nice guy. And she was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, no problem. Got him out of jail, brought him home. And then a couple days later, fucking busted for yeah, being the green room. Gets cover. busted. And th- at that point, he's gone from her life. Right. Like, I think she maybe sees him a couple more times in prison, but that's like the end of their marriage. Yeah, she. I think she pretty much gives up on that pretty soon. Mm, I think it takes a year or two. Really? I think it does, yeah. I don't think it's right away. Because when he... Okay, so he's arrested. He does not confess right away at all. Like, so he's arrested on the DNA evidence... 
but I think does not confess for like six months at least. So what what ends up happening? Okay, so the source that I'm getting pretty much all this information from hereafter is Defending Gary by Mark Prothero, which is, we've mentioned this in other episodes, is his defense attorney. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that the family gets the services of Tony Savage, who is a big attorney around here. He was a this big time. like anti-death penalty defense right. lawyer. Right. Who would work pro bono, yes. I guess, sometimes. So Mark Prothero ends up being a part of this defense team. And during this time, they are trying to figure out how do how are we gonna go about this? Like, does this guy plead guilty? Do we try to like refute this DNA evidence? No, Mark Prothero, he had worked with other cases where DNA was used. So he was kind of this like, hey, I'm the DNA defense lawyer. And so he was on that team so they could try to build a defense if needed to show that this was not, that Gary Ridgway did not do this. Well, and I think their defense was going to be originally like, well, hey, man, just because I had sex with these women doesn't mean I killed Killed them. them. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was going to be, he was going to admit to, yeah, I frequent prostitutes yeah. a lot. Right. Um, and I just happened to have sex with these five women, the five women that they got the DNA evidence from. Right. And I don't know the timeline, but I do know it was a while before he confessed because Gary Ridgway's family supported him. Yes. Until he confessed. Yes. And then even once he got to the point of confessing, it was a long process before he confessed to everything. So it started off with, okay, sure, yeah, I killed a few women. Right. And then it was like, okay, yeah, I killed kind of a lot. And then it was like, okay, yeah, I killed, like, everybody you're charging me with. And then the details came out. Right. So uh, what ends up happening is that they start to look at the circumstantial evidence and realize, oh, shit. And apparently, so Mark Prothero talks about this a lot, and Dave Reichert actually in his book talks about this, where they immediately, from the beginning, start planning their mitigation package. So what this is is when possibly someone's going up for the death penalty, which they knew for a fucking fact. This dude's murdered, or is charged for murdering six people. They're going to seek yeah. the death penalty because how else would they like ever seek the death penalty in the future? If something this heinous doesn't get death, what will? Uh, so they started preparing their mitigation package, which apparently is a regular part of trial when this is involved. And everyone was like, oh, why are you preparing your mitigation package if, you know, he's not guilty? So immediately all this circumstantial evidence starts coming out and they're like, fuck And then what ends up happening is that the defense attorneys start to put out feelers with the police. And there's this whole back and forth about Norm Mailing, who's the district attorney at the time, whether he, you know, might be open to a deal. Because at this time, they only had evidence for six of the murders. Oh, we're talking about the plea bargain. Okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. So what ends up happening is they, you know, they only had evidence for six of the murders. And they were like, went to the family and said, hey, you guys, if... We could make this deal where if Gary gives us more information, we would save him from the death penalty. Would you want to do this? And there was a lot of deliberation back and forth. But apparently this turning point came when they spoke with Gary Ridgway's older brother, Greg. And Greg was like, I want Gary to live. We support him no matter what. I love my brother. I want him to live. And this fucking destroyed Gary. 
Gary like started crying. They talk pretty frequently in this book about any time anyone shows him any kind of love. Yeah. He, he immediately weeps. falls yeah, apart. So yeah. that alone, this guy's not a sociopath. No. He has really strong feelings that he clearly does not know how to cope with. It's yeah. a, it's a it's an issue. They make a deal and they say, "Okay, if you can get us some more information about these other women, we will work with you. But we have to actually get some real details out of this. So when Gary first starts to confess, he's like giving minute details like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I killed this woman. Um, This is where I left her. There's this jewelry. Well, yeah, I don't I don't mean to interrupt you too much. But there's there's also like stipulations about this plea bargain, which is. The women have to have all been killed in King County. Mm-hmm. Like, a- if you've killed anyone outside of King County, like, this is void. Mm-hmm. And so there are there are things in place that make it so he maybe is not going to be as honest as he could possibly have been. Right, and there's other issues, too, with, like, the it not being the people who they already had yes. the evidence for. Yeah. There All these stipulations, I think what ended up happening was that it just really confused him. It fucked him up because already he was struggling with this issue with his memory issues. And then he's like, oh, shit. I mean, because, OK, right. He's he's not the most intelligent person. And then people are like, Gary, you can't talk about these ones. You can't talk about these ones. And so he's already having trouble keeping it straight in mm-hmm. his head. So what ends up coming out is just a bunch of fucking bullshit. Are we being too sympathetic to him in this episode? I feel like I feel like we're I feel like we're speaking about him in this sort of like sympathetic, almost fond way, which feels a little gross. I I don't think so. Okay, I think that he is not. I really think that he's not playing with a full deck here. No, and that yeah, I agree. That is the reason that a lot of this a lot of these problems with his confessions happened. So he can't even fucking remember. Okay, that thing that we mentioned in the last episode where he may have killed a kid in a lake, but he didn't know if it was a dream or real life. I mean, like, what the fuck? What is that? That's his whole life. But there's also evidence that he may be lying sometimes, too. So, that, I mean, that's the thing. Totally. We never, you never fucking know, like, is this, he just doesn't remember, or is he, is he lying, or okay. who knows? Right, who so knows? that's the next thing, is that what ends up happening is that for different people, he's a different thing. Yeah. But I also think this has everything to do with his lack of intelligence. Yes. So, as a kid... To cover his reading deficiencies, he learned ways to cope. And it's the same fucking thing with how he interacts with people. So there would be, like, the mean attorney, and he'd be, like, a gruff man with him. And then there was, like, the nice attorney. and Or, like, the women. Oh, oh my God. God. The women. He loved the women. Yeah, and he, he would be very different around the women than he would for the men. Mm-hmm. So for people who had different expectations of him, he acted in a different way. And I don't think that... I, he is not a criminal mastermind. I don't think that this was, like, a, a well-thought-out manipulation technique. No. I think this was just... Gary Ridgway has, is so used to coping with the shit that he deals with in his life to try to hide how unintelligent he is that that's just his normal mode of operation. So it's not really being sympathetic to him, but it's trying to understand where this shit's coming from. Yeah. And I, and I think this does do something to differentiate him from your 
average run-of-the-mill serial killer who I think is typically a sociopathic piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Where and I, I mean, I'm not saying that Gary Rich is a great person or anything like that, or even uh, in in any way a good person. But I think he's you're dealing with something different with him than I think mm-hmm. you're dealing with with other people. If we get into like I don't know Amityville next, or at some point we get into Amityville, the guy who murdered his family. Oh my god, what a piece of shit! Total so absolute piece of shit. Right? Who somebody who should have been aborted. A hundred percent. Like, he has no purpose in the world at all. And, I mean, you could sort of make the same case for Gary Ridgway, but I'm more sympathetic to him because I think he was sort of a sad little person who, for whatever reason, developed in that way. I feel the same way about Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. That just, like, a sad person who just, like, right, fucked up sex drive stuff. Yeah. What is it with men and their dicks? Men and their fucking dicks. It ruins everything. It does. It ruins (laughs) fucking everything. The only... Okay... If we, I don't know enough about Hitler to ever do an episode on Hitler, but I do feel, I'm like, was Hitler, was was his thing his dick too? Or oh, was, you know, he only had, didn't he only have one testicle? One of them was like stuck up inside of him. Is that true? Well, I have read, read so read many fucking different things about Hitler. Yeah. Like I read that he was really interested in like eating poop sexually, like whatever the fuck you what? call that, that, whatever that fetish is called. Oh but God. I'm like, is that true? Or does somebody just make that up? He's also vegetarian. That is true. <gasps> Hey, hey. <laughs> vegetarians of the world. Ew. So anyway, I mean, who the fuck knows? How did we even get on this? I know. Okay. Like the rest of it. So he's arrested. So, he's confessed. Wait, to, but well, he's confessed in a limited way. So he, so he's doing all this fucking lying. So what ends up happening is that they stipulate in his deal that we have to be able to solve something. We have to get some good stuff out of this. They're, like, he can give evidence for up to, like, 48 murders, right? Which is how they ended up with, like, the final number. But he starts telling them stuff. They are sending people out into the field and can't find any fucking thing. So everyone's getting hella frustrated with Gary because they're like, dude, you are telling us all this information. So they bring in... Mary Ellen O'Toole from the oh, FBI. Jesus. And if you get a chance, um, maybe we can post the videos up on we, uh, Yeah, I only found one, but yeah, I can post it. So um, Mary Ellen O'Toole comes in from the FBI, and like the way that that Mark Prothero describes it is that she sits down and starts talking about all of her credentials and like who she's, what like killers she's worked with, and like almost trying to impress him, and then starts kind of like feeding him information and they can see him sort of transform when they're like speaking with her. So in this whole thing, he admits to like having sexual fantasies about his mom and doing all this shit, but it's clearly kind of like planted. If you watch the YouTube video, you will see exactly that. But also weirdly enough. Okay. So YouTube comments are like the deepest pit of hell in terms of just so bad, terrible parts of humanity come out there. But even the YouTube commenters underneath the video are like, what the fuck? Worst interview ever. Yeah. Because she's just like telling him exactly what he should say. And he's such a dum-dum that he's like, oh, I need to say this now. Like, you can right. you can watch him try to, like, figure out, like, what am I supposed to say now to make her happy? Dude, it's like the fucking Brendan Dassey on Making oh, a Murder. Oh, God, it is. It's that exact situation. Yeah. So she totally, like, guides him into saying all this. She's like, oh, did you find your mother attractive? When did you want to murder her? Like, I mean, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I know. It's, it's so bad. bad. And so, like, he is telling all this fucking bullshit. 
Yeah. All this bullshit. And they're like, oh my God, how are we going to wade through this? Um, and this is where one of my favorite quotes comes in. So they're talking about, this is after Mary Ellen O'Toole. This is not the FBI. This is just like the regular investigators that are interviewing him. And at one point, he was talking about how one of the, the his like things he said to make them happy was that there was like a good Gary and an evil Gary. Oh God, he tries to do a split personality yeah. thing, doesn't he? Yeah. Oh, it's so pathetic. And then when evil Gary comes out, like that's when the killing happens. And but good Gary tries to like keep him under control. And at one point, they talk about like what caused it, and he mentions and it like peaches the poodle. And one of the investigators, my favorite quote, he goes, fuck Peaches the Poodle. It's And I just, like, imagine that in, like, in, in like an interrogation situation. It's so ridiculous. I love it. Oh, my God. It's, it's the ultimate Green River Killer quote, really. Yeah. Fuck Peaches the Poodle. So in this period of time, they've, Gary Ridgway started off, obviously, in, in, jail somewhere yeah. in, I think in downtown Seattle once they had gotten the plea bargain happening mm-hmm. they pulled him out mm-hmm. took him down to King County Sheriff's offices in Burien and had him sleep there like they no, made no no it's in Boeing Field it's a building um, right near Boeing Field I thought it was in Burien no oh alright so down it's a mile north of Boeing there's Field there's something about Burien we'll come back to this but they okay, had they so had the Green River Task Force. They had their uh, they have an office in there for a while. Okay. Yeah, and the Burien police were hella pissed. Oh, God. They were like, "These motherfuckers coming in here, getting all this nice ass shit." Burien's really ghetto. Yeah. So anyway. they they pull Gary Ridgway out of out of jail yeah. and put him into like their office. So the graphic novel. The Green River Killer True Detective story is yeah. all about that experience mm-hmm. of Tom Jensen having to go to work every day and Gary Ridgway's like in his office. Like just like has like his bedroom, like kind of over in the corner, and like has takes takes his showers there, has his meals there. Yeah, he has like a camp shower and they go and get him hamburgers from yeah. the restaurant. They're, They're like, like, What do you want today, Gary? He's like fish and chips. So they I mean they do interviews with him there, but then they also take him on field trips. Oh. So this is they're trying to figure out where bodies are so people that he's killed but that they haven't found and so they take him out on these long drives to dump sites or fake dump sites and this is how they found patricia yellow robe right was by doing this whole thing right so and this this goes on for like six months or more, oh a long time where he's going out on these field trips and they aren't getting anything and so it's the summertime and they're driving around. It's like one of the hottest summers on record. It is. And it's 2003. You know what's fucked up? I remember exactly the summer of 2003. And it was. It was really fucking so hot. So hot. I remember it too because it was the year that I graduated high school. Seriously? Yeah. Oh and I was like, oh my fucking God. It was, it was so crazy, right? Like record highs. So they have these guys going out. Gary's saying, oh yeah, I totally left a body here. They have these guys going out and... They call them diggers and whackers or something, where they cut brush and, like, dig for these remains, and they're not finding anything for fucking months. And they're, they're, they're finding nothing to the point where they're like, maybe this isn't the Great River Killer. Like, yeah. Like, they're doubting it. They're like, maybe this isn't the fucking guy. Like, yeah. maybe he just, like, he has sex with a bunch of prostitutes, or maybe he killed, like, a couple of them, but he's, not, he's definitely not the guy who killed all of them. Who... Which obviously is not true, but who is the the body they find? They eventually do find somebody. He does eventually prove them shit right. 
And I don't, we don't know who, I don't think I don't even, I don't know who it is, but yeah, what ends up happening is that they're, they are starting to threaten him and they're like, you know what? We're going to fucking take this plea away. You're not going on any more field trips. And so he's like, oh my God. And he ends up finally on one of these field trips saying, hey, I think there's one here. And finally they find They find one. Yeah. And so what ends up happening with Patricia Yellow Robe, this is crazy. So this is right by my house. They were driving around Des Moines Memorial Parkway, which is also kind of a, it has a, that road has a feeling. It's not as, it, it's not it as does. sinister it as totally like. totally has a feeling. Yeah. Military road. They're, they're driving around and like, you know, going to these fake places. And Gary later on goes, uh, you know, when we were driving around on Des Moines Memorial Parkway earlier by the McDonald's and they were like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I killed one of the people there. And they were like what the fuck? And they had to go back in their records and find, oh my God, this woman died of a drug overdose here, but actually it was Gary. It was Gary. So after this happens, then like the unabashed truth comes out and this is where things start to get fucked up and disgusting. Okay. So like rewind when Reichert and Keppel went to Florida and Bundy was like talking with them he suggested, oh, maybe this guy loves to have sex with dead bodies. But they did, did they have any evidence at that point? Mm, I guess they, they did. They kind of did, yeah, because of the way the bodies had been found. Like, a lot of them were found on their back with their legs spread. Oh. Which is not a natural position for a body to be in. P.S. Get your barf bags ready. <laughs> not only were some of them, did they have legs spread... Some of them had their legs bent so far back that they were broken. Yeah. Uh, so they, so the cops had been suspicious that there had been some post-mortem activity. And Ted Bundy said, oh yeah, this guy's totally a necrophile. But at the same time, Ted Bundy was epically full of shit. Like, almost everything Ted Bundy said was bullshit. Plus, talk about a necrophile. Well, and that's the point, is that... A lot of what Ted Bundy would do is he would he would describe other people's behavior, but he was really describing his own. That's that's totally what he did. And so they were sort of like, yeah, okay, you think he's a necrophiliac, whatever. But it turns out, yes, he was. So he Ted was. Bundy was correct. So yeah. Yep. So Gary, for the longest time, held out and did not want to admit that he would have sex with the bodies afterwards. Well, there's a and there's a good sequence in um, graphic novel where there where there, there's a whole scene where they're trying to get him to admit that he had had sex with the bodies after he had killed the Ooh. women. There's a whole sequence with that, Ooh. and he finally is like, okay, yeah. So, Ooh. yeah, he did hold out, which apparently is common. Apparently, the, this is something that even serial killers are very embarrassed about. What well, and they should be. Yeah. I have something to share. This is from the book. And they asked Gary, and it says, um, what was it about having sex with a dead body that you preferred over just going out and getting another woman to kill? Well, this is Gary. Well, one thing you'd have to pay for it, and she was already dead, Gary said. In other words, it was more trouble and riskier to find another victim than to simply return to the last person killed. But you would have got the money back from the next woman because you weren't paying, Right, so he would have sex with them and then take their money back. Were you experiencing really, really strong horny urges to go back and have sex <laughs> with them? That's how they phrased yeah. it. Really, really horny urges. Really, really horny urges. Really, yeah. no, really, really strong horny urges. It's really, really strong horny urges. Yeah, to go back and have sex with them. Or were you just really, like, thinking, getting all hot and bothered, thinking about the women and the bodies? 
No, it was kind of getting to me, and I tried to get the urge out by putting the bodies out further and further. I mean, and then he says, okay, because I felt it wasn't right, and then the cold body didn't turn me on as much as a, a woman warm, a warm body to have sex with. But what he ends up confessing is that he pretty much went back and had sex with these women because he didn't want to pay. He was cheap. And this goes back to the hoarding. I'm just saying. It does. The garage sale mentality. It's not so wholesome anymore, is it? Christian families <laughs> I knew when I was a kid. And the, the he does, if you watch where the bodies were placed over time, they do get farther and farther away from mm-hmm. where his house was. Mm-hmm. And there is also this tendency, so remember we talked about the rocks in the vagina. Yep. And that, the burying of the and bodies. the burying of some, but not all, right. of the women. So there is, we do, I would guess that the rocks were an attempt to not have sex with these women. That's totally what it was. Because I think he was grossed out by it, but kind of wanted to, too. But not grossed out enough, because when they ask him, this is so gross. This is one of the this great examples yeah. of the gallows humor that, like, Mark Prothero and his attorneys had, or they probably didn't have to use it, but they admit to using in this book, was that during interrogation, they were like, oh my god, like, how long would you have sex with these bodies? And he was like, well... You know, if there were a couple maggots, I would just, if there were, like, one or two maggots, they would just brush them away. And apparently, Todd Grunhagen, which I think is how you say his last name, was like, oh, I've heard of a three-dog night, but have you ever heard of a two-maggot fuck? <laughs> oh, my God! What the fuck? That is second to the Peaches the Poodles quote. Right. The, That's the my second favorite quote. Ultimate Gary Ridgway <laughs> quote. Oh, God. It's so bad. It is. I mean, for the most part, this is not a particularly gory case. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like a bloody or or disgusting case in that way. This is the this is the gross part of it. This is the Jesus kind of, Christ. I mean, imagine. Uh, just imagine this for a moment. This oh no, I do. I no no. I have going back to the woods. Mm-hmm. It's cold. It's rainy, and just oh God, Jesus. Christ. I, I'm gonna tell the best Green River story, I think, or the scariest one, which is related to this. So, Gary Ridgway was grabbed a prostitute off the street and was like, hey, let's go have sex, and took her to a place where he already had left a dead body. Oh my god. This woman survived, because she told it, she talked about it. She, or, I take that, she did survive, but I think maybe Gary Ridgway told this story that he had accidentally done this. So they get out of the fucking car. They're about to walk into wherever it is. It may have been by the little league field that's feeling right to me. And the woman sees another fucking body there. And is like, what the hell is that? No. And somehow kind of pieces together that Gary Ridgway is the Green River Killer. Why? What the, what happened? I feel like... Shit, I need to fucking cite this somewhere because I have to find what book this is from. But I think he pays her pays her off. <gasps> and basically was like, here, I'll give you like a hundred bucks if you don't tell anybody. And she doesn't fucking tell anybody. Oh, that's the craziest fucking thing. So it's just like the Paige Miley, right? Paige Miley fucking knew that oh, yeah. shit. She met with him at that fucking Randy's and like he kept on going. Wow. This is what we're dealing with here. But he probably took her back there because he was kind of in the groove of like going back to the same places. And that's also probably why he was doing dump sites as opposed to like, you know what I mean? Like where multiple people were put in one place. Right. Was because it would make it easy to dump a new body, but then you're also kind of familiar with the site because you've already gone back to the people who were there before. You know what I mean? It's just the whole thing is just... 
super spooky. He's a he's such a ghoul. Yeah. Like he is the embodiment of that yeah. word. Yeah. <sighs> Were there any other juicy pieces of information that he gave after he was arrested? I feel like well, he gives individual details about some of the victims. So for example, he does with like Carol Christensen, like. The reason why she was so different, like, that she was clothed and had the fish and everything, he admits that he, like, really loved her, actually. Like, he was in love with her. Like, they were kind of dating. Kind of. Ish. Yeah. Like, well, like, they had had sex consensually, uh, like, a few times. Yeah. And he, she ends up going back to his house on her second day as, you know, working at the bar. They had sex, and she, he said normally she didn't do this, but she hurried him along, and it just threw him into a rage and then he said that he just like afterwards just cried like Mm -hmm. he was like disconsolate i mean he also opens up about marie malvar and what happened there about connie neon (gasps) he he thought connie neon was the best looking one she was the real good looking one he does talk about that yeah talks about her camaro and he and he buried her Mm -hmm. so he does it's it, most of the victims he can't remember anything about them, mm-hmm. which makes it difficult to read read interviews with them because that's what you want is you want the details about the individual people and he doesn't give you any of that right. because he doesn't remember, he doesn't any remember of anything because you'll say oh what about this person he can remember the body was put in this location but doesn't remember who they are doesn't remember what they look like doesn't remember anything about them right so and, it's not satisfying and one of I think it was in defending Gary where he keeps calling Giselle Lovelorn. Laverne. Laverne, yep. And they, the investigators, like Randy Mullinex, they fucking lose their mind at him. They're like, her name is Giselle. It's not fucking Laverne. Say her name. They tell him, and then he continues to call her Laverne. Like, he can't do it, yeah. So it's like, he does not, it's like, they're just nothing, and they're a blip on, you know, his screen. And I, and honestly, I don't know if that's true of other serial killers, I've never read about another serial killer as in-depth as I have about Gary Ridgway, but my sense is that that level of disconnect is not common. Right. I mean, he really just has nothing, like no memory. He can't even tell the race in a lot of cases. Right. He'll have like a vague, maybe a vague memory of like she was white. Maybe. So yeah, so we don't get a lot of details about that stuff. Providing details for 48 murders, but he fully, like, he can't remember a ton of others. I mean, it could be double that. Well, and he's come out later and has said it's over 80. Yeah. Like, I killed over 80 women. Yeah. But and imagine not remembering. But we're not sure. We don't have the bodies yeah. of 80 women. But that doesn't mean he's wrong. And right. so it, it's it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. And they do still find women from time. Or I guess they don't even know. But they find bodies, bones, from time to time. Mm-hmm. And who are maybe Green River Killer victims, we're not sure. They do f- occasionally will find confirmed. Right, like in Green 2010, River. Becky Marrero. Um, and when they found somebody in um, like 2015. Yeah. And I actually don't know what happened with that, but they it was on the news. It was yeah. like they, they found suspected Green River Killer remains, and then I heard nothing after that. So it's just like fucking crazy that, you know, that someone kills that many people and then doesn't even you'd think that that would be a significant event in your life but this is why he is an uh an unsatisfying i think serial killer for a lot of people Mm -hmm. i think this is why a lot of people don't find him interesting uh because he's 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 blank he's a nothing he is he's just this sort of like void that sits there 
and yet he caused all of this pain in the world yet just like gives you nothing in terms of satisfaction or answers or anything man i think that's almost fucking more scary it is i mean i mean if you yeah i agree that he's almost evil in the way that he's just sort of blank like there's just nothing there i mean and to me like that's what that's like what a demon would be oh did you ever read the phantom toll booth god no you've never read the phantom toll booth no Okay. Don't judge me. It's so good. You should totally read <laughs> I've it. I've heard it's really good. <clears throat> but there's a part of the end-ish where Milo, who's the main character, and he's got this sort of like band of, of friends. They're, they're on a quest-ish. And they end up coming to a place where they meet a demon, and he's called the Trivium. And he's mm. a, a man in a dapper suit, but he has no face. His face is just blank. Fuck. So there's a picture of him. So he's That's got like fucking scary. It is. And he's got like a little bowler cap and a little suit and a little handkerchief in his pocket, but he's just got this like plain, like white face with no features. That's scary. And what he and he's very, very polite, but what he has you do is he has you do these like little teeny tiny stupid tasks forever. And, and you're like, great, yeah, I'll do that. But then you realize you're going to be doing this for like a million years. And that's the whole point of him is he gets you to do stupid, oh meaningless shit. That's, but, and that's why he's so terrifying. And by the end, when they're like, hey, wait a second, we don't want to do this. Like he totally turns and, he's, and he's evil. It's so insidious. Yeah. And that's what Gary Ridgway is. It's just this sort of like nothingness, but it's like, no, like that, that is maybe what evil really looks like not like ted bundy that's what we expect evil to look like right. but maybe it really is more like gary ridgeway this Holy is kind of fuck. nothing so i mean the end of the story is that he was convicted of 48 murders he was on december 19th 2003 he went through sentencing this is cr- this is an interesting fun fact not maybe a fun fact a fact. Guess what? <laughs> what? Quincy Jones's brother, the oh, famous Quincy Jones. Yeah. He was the judge. Yeah, totally. I know. No, I knew that. Crazy. That, which is, yeah, Seattle. Seattle fun fact. Yeah. They're um, kind of a famous family around here. They are. And Quincy Jones went to Garfield. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if Robert did too, his brother. Pro- you know, probably. Richard. <gasps> Richard and Robert Richard. are practically the same name. The same name. I know. Yeah, maybe he probably did. Uh, and then you you can watch if you want to on YouTube of of the uh, victims' families talking to Gary Ridgway. Yeah, so that was a big thing was that they all got the opportunity to stand up and talk to him. According to Mark Prothero, this was something that Gary was super stressed out about. Uh, as very he, as he should have been, yeah, right, because like fucking finally someone's holding him accountable. Like, and he gets to see the aftermath of what yep. he's done. So most of the people just came out. Did really, what you would expect. Right. Just like, you motherfucker. Pissed. Yeah. Like, I hate you. You're a demon. I mean, they had, like, so many different names. In one article I read, they, like, listed them all out. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. Except for two people. Mm-hmm. Opal Mills' mom, Kathy Mills, stood up and pretty much talked about forgiving him. And Linda Rule's dad. And those were the only two that he had any kind of reaction to. And his reaction was to cry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can you can watch a video of him crying with after being forgiven, which is kind of a beautiful thing, actually. I I can appreciate that for being beautiful. Yeah, I mean I can too, and I I mean I think maybe this is I feel this way because of like you know working as a teacher, right? Like the kids that come in and like do the most fucked up things to you are like the ones who just like I mean I'm not saying that this guy needs love like that's not what I'm saying but like that there's some something deep down some kind of like emptiness that like they need 
fulfilled mm-hmm. and that when you instead of like being harsh and gruff with them you kind of have to like take a more tender approach yeah. to be able to reach them and i think that's kind of what happened here yeah so gary read a statement and he seriously said ladies so fucking much in his statement. Like, what is that about? So his statement read in part, I'm sorry for killing all those ladies. I have tried hard to remember as much as I could to help the detectives find and recover the ladies. I know how horrible my acts were. I have tried for a long time to get these things out of my mind. I'm very sorry for the ladies that were not found. May they rest in peace. They need a better place than what I gave them. And that's one of those interesting little lines that I think is poetic in the way that some of the things from that letter that he sent were. I, I don't know. Like, he has these, like, weird little moments where I'm like, hmm, that there's something deeper happening right. with them, with him a right. little bit, I think. Totally. Because he, he does seem very interested in where he left bodies. Yeah. He's very... Because that's what he remembers was the places. So he seems very attached to locations. Yeah, that's interesting. And I kind of am too. Like I'm I'm very fascinated with the specific locations which apparently you cannot find. That's the only thing I learned from that book The 39th Victim, which is the latest and not greatest uh <laughs> <laughs> greener for killer book. Uh but she talks this is written by a sister of um Maureen Feeney who was a victim, but she talks about how they will not publish the specific locations of the victims. Why? Because they don't want people like us to go and, like, try to find these places. Hmm. So this, all of the shit that they've published online, like, they're very vague on purpose. Like, that's a purposeful decision, which I didn't know. Interesting. Because she talks about going and finding the place where her sister was left. Wow. But how she had to actually, like, call the detectives and, like, get more detailed descriptions. He was sentenced to life in prison, obviously. <laughs> really? Uh, Can you imagine if it was, like, <laughs> 10 years? <laughs> good it's whatever he's, he's, <laughs> he's paid his price paid his debt he's to sad, society sad for the ladies <laughs> they read the names out and the charges in court and apparently it took over a half an hour just to do that which is insane to me mm-hmm. he was sent to uh walla walla in walla the walla. eastern washington yeah. yeah and then he went to colorado for a period for, of time i don't understand why okay i think i figured it out okay so, this is what, so what they said, this is in 2000, May of 2015, he was moved to Colorado for, quote, reasons of security management. Uh, he was put in a super max prison, and everyone was like, what the fuck is going on? Victims' families were super pissed off. They thought that Gary would have all these extra benefits in this new prison that he didn't have in Walla Walla. And then also the, the investigators were kind of mad. They were like, um... We need this access to this guy. Investigation yeah. still, yeah. So the DOC said they moved him because Gary is a risk to have around, not because he will. He's a risk to other people. Oh, someone will kill him, right? He is such a fucking target yep. that it's hard to have him around. I've heard that there are relatives of victims in prison with him who are always trying to kill him. Does not shock me. At and, well, all. and you know, I mean, obviously we all know Jeffrey Dahmer was murdered in prison. Right. So, I mean, that although on I guess he's I guess he's not on death row, never mind. I was going to say on death row it's almost impossible to get killed. But, yeah. But I think he is in isolation like 23 hours a yeah, day. Yeah, he so, totally I mean, is. it would be hard to kill him. He is. So he got moved back um, only five months later. He, so he's still in Walla Walla now. Mm-hmm. You can find to write him, which I think we should do we should and ask do. questions. Um, you can find his information online. 
reading the boards though it's almost like that's where all the other psychos are are on those boards of course it is (laughs) you mean there's psychos on the internet no (laughs) Um, i didn't know that (laughs) but they all are just wanting to talk about gary ridgeway and his prison number like why would you talk to him that motherfucker should burn in hell which i get i understand i understand people feeling that way but if you could go and like sit down and have a half hour conversation with him would you Hell yeah, I would. Fuck yeah, I would too. Fuck yeah, I would. But like, what would you ask? What would you ask him? You know what? I'm not sure I'd ask him anything. I think I might just shoot the shit. I think what I would be more curious about is just what is he like? What is his energy like? Yeah. I sound like a dipshit saying that. No, you don't. (laughs) I do. But I'm just curious because, I mean, in terms of questions, I mean, we've talked about you're not going to get anything interesting or useful from him i don't think but i'm i'm just sort of curious about him as a person like what would it be like just to have uh just a shooting the shit kind of conversation with him yeah i'm very curious about his psychology but again i mean i think the whole this whole investigation has pretty much shown that he's a tough nut to crack if because there's anything inside. That's the problem. There's He's like those fucking pistachios yeah, that you like, you like, you like worked it forever to get open and then there's like, nothing in there. You're like, like, God damn it. weird shriveled black <laughs> nut. And you're like, well, man, that's exactly what Gary yeah. Ridgeway is. And so, yeah. I mean, I don't even know, like, what do you, you know, what do you say? But I totally would because, you know, and we, we've talked about this before. It's like. There's so I mean, there's such a huge interest in like true crime and like serial killers. And what is that impulse that's so interesting? I mean, I think we're always interested in evil and mm-hmm. how because I think we most of us think of ourselves as not being evil. So we look at people who are, we want to know how they got there and what that's all about. Do you think what, it's anxiety based? How can I avoid being being, being a serial evil? killer and being evil? <laughs> I mean, or getting killed by one. I feel like a lot of my interest comes from like hoping that I never get murdered. But I'm not sure talking to Gary Ridgway for a half hour would would make you feel any safer. It would about at all. I don't know if it is for me. I I'm interested in the way that other people's brains function. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with that yeah, because no one makes any goddamn sense to me, and yeah. so. <laughs> He makes less sense to me than other people, and so yeah. I'm more interested in the way that he works. Like, he makes less sense to me than Hitler. Yeah. Hitler kind of makes sense to me, actually. I'm like, okay. Or Stalin. Like, I, I mean, these people who are sort of in power positions. Right. Well, yeah, and somebody like Hitler or Stalin, you know, were, were somewhat removed from the horrible things that they were doing. And yeah. so I think it's a lot easier to say, let's murder a million people and then have somebody else go and do it than for you personally to go and murder 50 people. Right. So, I mean, I think there is something more interesting about the serial killer as opposed to the sort of -of run-of-the-mill sociopath. Yeah. Who kind of maneuvers things from a distance. Well, the good news is that we have a lot of topics to talk about (laughs) because there are so many fucking evil people in this world and fucked up things. So once again, if you have things you want us to talk about, feel free to share them. Although... You got to know that we're going to feel free to veto fucking anything we're not interested in. So yeah. if you come at me with like, I'm trying to think of something I'm really not interested in that everyone else always wants to talk about. Who, um. What's a common, okay, uh, like like Jomini Ramsey. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that, I don't think. <gasps> yeah, I, I kind of get it though. 
I, I get it, but no, I'm, watched, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not, okay. I would not want to do a goddamn podcast about that. I know, but one time I saw this show and it like showed her like a little neck with the thing. It like, did? Yeah. Oh, and it feels was so, so icky. I've never, I will never get that image out of my mind. Yeah, when children are murdered and then they show photographs of it, that just feels Paradise Lost. It feels oh pornographic. Oh, por- oh, oh my god, that beginning ch- sequence. I would talk about Paradise Lost in a nanosecond. Oh my god. Okay. Although I don't know if we could say any more than what the documentary already did, but what should our next topic be? We should decide that right now. Let's do it. Wait, let's say it at the same time. What? Well, no, 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 no. We're, we're not going to say the same, same thing. We're not going to say no, the same thing. We might. One, <laughs> two, three. Amityville. Amityville. <laughs> There you go. Motherfucker. Amityville it Amity is. Amity-fucking-ville. All right, and, but... Uh, 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 we need to talk about the movies, too. Okay, go. What were we going to say? Amityville the murders, not the hauntings. I mean, we can include the hauntings, but I want to focus more on the murders. I want to focus more on the murders, too, but I also... So I... Hold on. I want to do a two-part. Two-part? You want more than that? You were being very ambitious. No, no. Two-part for sure. No, 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 no. No, you want more? You want more than two-part? Yeah. Part? No more than three, I don't think. Well, this was six, and this was a forty-eight, mur- you know, murder spree. Oh right, that was a singular murder. There is the haunting, but we're not really going to focus on the haunting. But I also want to talk about the pop culture surrounding it, and which means you're going to have to watch all the movies, or not the first three. The first three. <sighs> you have to watch the first three. We have to talk about them. Oh my god. The second one. The second one has incest, and it's directed by an Italian. Ooh. Oh, it's so trashy. You good. got me with incest. <laughs> All right, so we're going to come back at you with Amityville. Excited. Okay. Thanks for listening. Bye. We love you. Bye.